So, hey, so let's dive in this morning. We are uh, continuing on in our study in the book of Acts. And, um, yeah, it's super, I love as we dive into these books and, and just recognize what God is doing, yes, historically. But, but as we look at historically, what that means for activation for us, the idea that we learn so that it can shape us and begin to challenge us to, to step into those pieces. So if you were here last week, you know we talked about Acts chapter 2, right? Acts chapter 2 were these two primary pieces. First was verses 1 through 4, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second part of that then was that 42 through 47, where we begin to see this expression of the early church, right? Breaking bread together, the fellowship, right? Prayer, right? this beautiful piece of doing life together. They were, there were signs and wonders happening. We saw when going on, people selling their possessions and giving to those that were in need, right? Just a beautiful, beautiful picture of the work of God through his people in the early church. And in that piece we talked about from Acts 2 that, in my opinion, all of the Gospels, right, all of the Gospels point to the first four verses of of Acts chapter 2. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus then pointed to the empowerment of God's people to do the things that Jesus did. We talked about last week that my conviction that Acts chapter 1 ultimately was pointing to the first four verses of chapter 2. And then every subsequent chapter chapter afterwards pointed back to those moments. The idea is that Jesus' gospel message was only complete once his people were empowered to fulfill his mission. Right? That Jesus couldn't, would come, live his life as perfect, right? He would die, he'd be resurrected. And then to leave us incapable was not his plan. It was to make you capable, it was to make you empowered. And so everything, the gospel message led to this point of you being empowered so that you could then go be Jesus. You could do the things that Jesus did. We look at it in the sense of everything we see from Acts chapter 2, like verse 5 on is now what it looks like for the people of God to be empowered, for them to now carry God's Spirit, to be baptized, filled with God's Spirit themselves, and then to go do the things that Jesus did. And everything you see from that point forward now is a testimony to those first four verses. As even this morning, we look at some of Paul's missionary journeys, right? And the, Paul being the, uh, the, the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who was sent to the non-Jews to, to lead them. I would say that as you read through, and, and Paul is the primary author, right, of all, most of the New Testament books, I would say that his life and his ministry would have been completely useless, and he would have been incapable of success if Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 did not happen, Which then means for us, and I think here's the point, that I don't believe for our lives that you could be effective as a Christ follower, that you could be effective in the things that God's called you to do, that as it relates to your life and ministry and doing the things that Jesus did, that apart from the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, your effectiveness and your life and ministry would not be possible that we're able to do the things that Jesus did, again, going all the way back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, therefore, it's imperative that you have a theology of this moment, a theology of what it means and how it applies to us today. If you encourage me to listen to that message from last week. 
I believed in that, that when you read through 2, 42, 45, and 47, honestly, and talking about the early church taking their possessions and selling them, not because they were demanded to or commanded by the apostles, but being led by the Spirit. They were convicted and they, on their own accord, sold their possessions and gave to anyone who had need so that there were no needy among them. Like, I don't know about you, but Acts 2.42 and praying for healing, all that kind of stuff, that's super fun and honestly very easy. But the selling of my possessions to give to anyone who has need so that everything was held in common seems like one of the greatest signs and wonders of God's spirit being present that I've ever seen in my life and ever read in scripture. And so when we talk about signs and wonders this morning, I want you to have a holistic view that, yes, we're talking about Acts chapter 3 and this beautiful miracle of the man born crippled being healed. And that is a sign and a wonder point to Jesus. But I want you to have a holistic view of signs and wonders. I want you to begin to see it beyond just the miracles, but the miracle of someone being willing to take what they have and sell and give to those who are in need. I would call it just a radical, an unbelievable radical generosity to see that as a sign and a wonder. So with that this morning, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to begin to see this, this kind of the, this first moment, this first moment kind of post-story uh, of, uh, of baptism of the Holy Spirit, this, this description of the church and getting to chapter 3 and begin to see what really is a sign and a wonder of God's Spirit moving through the apostles of your Bibles. You can turn there. If not, you can simply just follow along on the screen. I'm reading this, the first 11 verses of chapter 3 this morning. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, prayer the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, just called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple court with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people and began to proclaim the gospel with words. The first thing I want you to know just historically about this is this is a familiar story uh, in the early church, right? This is a familiar story in the early church. For Luke's readers, this story would not have been something new. It would not have been the very first time they'd ever heard it. This is just one of those stories that was told again and again in the early church. It was a reminder of, of, of who Jesus was. It was a reminder of what it looked like for a person to be empowered by God's Spirit, right? It was a story they probably told again and again and again. Remember, Jewish people are story people, 
They're the ones who every night, right, would sit around the fire and they would tell the stories of God's faithfulness, the story of God's movement, the glory, the story of God's love. And they would tell the story of the, the crossing of the Red Sea, right? They would tell the story of, of Elijah and Jezebel in that powerful moment, right? They would tell these stories as a memory, a reminder of who God is and then who they are, who they are, who they are in context of relationship with God. And so this story that had been told was the first story, this incredible healing moment, right? This incredible moment in the early church where all of a sudden God's spirit moved through to apostles, Peter and John, right? And they would tell this story. So when Luke is writing and reminding Theophilus and the other readers of the story, it would have brought them in as a familiar story, something that they knew, something that was known to them. It's powerful. The second thing I want you to note here is I want you to see the characters in the story, right? Every, every story has primary characters in it. Those characters have their own experiences. They have their own vantage points. They have their own moments in the story. Each of them have their own pieces to tell. If we were to sit down with them, they would give us their version, right? Their experience of it. And so when we look at this story here, the first thing we see are Peter and John, right? Probably the, the, probably the two most uh, visible and influential disciples of the twelve, right? We see the, the man who's lame or the crippled man. And the third character we see is the people, right? The people. The people in this story. Again, each of them had this unique perspective. But you have the people who represent every single person who's around, right? Every Jew who's following and watching, who sees this moment, the people, the crowd, and seeing their response. But the third thing to note here, and this will be the primary focus of our morning, is this on the screen. This story is an expression of a sign and wonder that points everyone to Jesus. This is a story that shows an expression of a sign and a wonder that points everyone to Jesus. Remember last week, Acts uh, 2.43, that said this, And all came upon every soul, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Signs and wonders, we said last week, are they legitimized the early church movement. That was one of the reasons that Luke wrote this. He wanted to, to, to show that, that Christianity, the, the, follow, the, the way, was a legitimate religious movement. And he showed it by showing this charismatic legitimation, that miracles and charismatic expressions happen through these men, happen through these women, right? And in that expression, it showed that God was with them in a way that was very different from the religious leaders, Right, We talked about this is one of the primary ways that people would show this expression of religion being legitimate, this charismatic legitimation that God is with a people. We celebrate that and we see their stories. As you read through the first seven chapters of Acts, we see again and again Luke telling some of these stories for a charismatic legitimation of this early Christian movement so that Theophilus and his followers would know, no, we haven't, as with Gentiles being invited in, we have engaged a religion that is true, that's legitimate, and that is right. But I believe it still speaks to us today that Christianity 
is legitimate. It's an actual movement of God and something we should give our lives to. We said signs and wonders last week in early Christianity show people that God was with the followers of Jesus, shows that God was with the apostles, empowering God's people, empowering all of them to do these charismatic things. Miracles and healings and casting out of demons, prophetic words. We see all of this through the book of Acts. It's intentional. It's intentional. All the things that Jesus did, they are doing. And we said last week as signs, they are simply signs pointing to the one from which they originated from. Jesus. He is a living, he is good, he is kind, he is powerful, and he's now, he is God. And so this idea, signs and wonders through the apostle, points to Jesus. And when they are done, right as they are expressed in people's lives, people are awakened and wanting to know, where did these come from? Signs and wonders, ultimately to point to Jesus. Now, when thinking of signs and wonders... I usually think about how they influence the people, right? The people in the story, the people, right? When you go somewhere, right, and something happens. Like yesterday, college football. How many of you watch college football, like, from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. or 12, like, 59? Yeah, all the way, all day long yesterday, right? You probably had your door open, windows open, watching God's gift to fall, right? Cool temperatures and college football, right? So you're like, it's so boring. You're wrong. It's amazing, right? Just sitting there watching these games and watching. I mean, it's so great. The 12 p.m. games yesterday were so great, right? It was so good. And we're sitting there. But here's what you have. You have, like, the coaches. You have the players and the teams. And then you have the people. The people were the hundred and something thousand people who were observing and watching the game take place yesterday in the stadium. The millions of people, right, all over our nation, across the world, who were watching their team as if they're there. Those are the people. And you're not just some disconnected observer. Your emotions are fully engaged, aren't they? Literally last night, with some of my neighbors decided to like literally scare me. So in the middle of the first quarter of the Georgia game, and it was still somewhat close, praise God, right? And sitting there in the moment, all of a sudden my door burst open and my dog goes berserk and all, I thought like, what is going on? And my neighbor and his two daughters come rushing in, they're laughing and giggling and they run straight into my kitchen, straight to my refrigerator door and openers are taking out food and drink. And I'm like, what are you doing? Right? And they were like, oh, this sort of giggle is like, we just, we've been talking about this for the last hour. We're going to come and scare you, right? It's like Acts 2.42 moment, right? How enjoying my food. All my possessions belong to them in the fridge, right? But they came in this night, and we were observers together. It was super fun and super funny, right? Thankfully, Georgia was winning. I was in a good mood, and so it was good. Now, this beautiful piece here in this moment is these signs and wonders with the people who are observing it, and their emotions are fully connected in the moment. Listen, in Acts 3, listen, in this moment, this miracle happens of this man born lame from birth. And someone, someone, the people, someone far from God, sees God move in a unique and supernatural way, and it awakens them. 
and it demands a response. It awakens them and demands a response. We see this happening again in this story, right? Acts chapter 3, 9 through 12. I'm going to read these pieces again. Just pull it out. I want you to see the people. I want you to see their experience. I want you to see their response. It says, all the people, the observer, saw him, the lame man, walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, asking for money, right? And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And in that moment, he proclaimed with words the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus to his very Jewish crowd. The miracle of this healing was a sign and wonder pointing to something, and maybe better said, someone bigger than themselves, something beyond their understanding. Look at, look at, look at the people's experience. Verses 9 through the first part of 10, the people saw a crippled man who was lame, and they recognized him. This is really important. They recognized him. He's somebody who had sat there forever. He wasn't one of those miracle plants. You put it on one of those crusades. Like, I don't even know who that guy is, right? Was he really sick? Was he really in a wheelchair? Did someone just plant him here, right, for the miracle, right? No, they recognized him. They recognized that he had sat there, listen, with his legs probably all end up underneath him, completely incapable of walking. Who knows? Look, Scripture doesn't tell us how long he sat there. We don't know if it was days. We don't know if it was months. We don't know if it was years. Scripture is silent. But he sat there long enough that everybody recognized him. Second part of verse 10. The people were filled with wonder and amazement because of what happened. Like, do you read through this and press pause and go, I just wonder what wonder and amazement meant. What did that look like? What did that sound like? What did that feel like? Like, I look at that and go, shock and awe, right? That's what I think of. That's the language I probably would use. They were in shock and complete awe, right? You can just imagine the whole crowd going, my gosh. I mean, it's that guy. It's that guy. It's the guy. Remember, we gave him all just yesterday, right? We've seen him for X amount of time. Like, oh, my gosh, right? And it's not just a few people. It's a bunch of people, and they're, they recognize him. He's up. It's just crazy. I've told the story of being in Brazil. Remember, we were just in a small little Presbyterian church. We're praying for people. This guy whose leg was, like, shorter than his left. As we pray for him, his leg goes, boop, and it just grows right in front of us. Right? Listen, it's not small little crowd of people. Everybody started going nuts, shock and awe. They were in wonder and amazement. The guy whose leg had grown, he starts jumping up and down, weeping with his buddy. It was so awkward and beautiful. Just a little bit of what wonder and amazement might have looked like. Verse 11, the people, stunned and amazed and shocked, then ran in mass to follow Peter and John, the ones through whom the miracle occurred. When God moves through, listen, when God moves through people, they are drawn. 
Jesus says this, raise me up and I will draw all men to myself, right? There's this moment of doing this work of Jesus. And then chapter 4, verse 4, which I did not read, but it says, Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Signs and wonders awaken people to respond because people are always looking for something bigger than themselves. It's just the nature of what we are. We see something like, oh my gosh, and we're drawn to it. This is the nature of who human beings are. Back in February, this is the Asbury Revival, right? All of a sudden, this thing begins to happen. This small little campus in Wilmore, Kentucky, and the entire world shows up. Craziness. People want to see something legitimate. They want to be drawn to something that's good and right and beyond themselves. That's what's happening here. The argument I want to make this morning is this. The gospel message here in Acts 3 is expressed by what is said and what is done. That didn't really hit you. You're kind of distracted right now by something else, but I want you to hear this. The gospel message in Acts 3 is expressed by what is said, the proclamation, and what is done, signs and wonders. Both represent the gospel message. So what is said, verses 12 through 26, I did not read. Peter stands up, much like he did in chapter 2. We're going to see it again with Stephen, again with Peter later on. And he shares the gospel, the holistic story of Jesus to his Jewish crowd, right, to everyone present, to the people. The gospel as a spoken message is something that all of us are very comfortable with as believers, right? We've heard the message of Jesus, his life, right, his birth at Christmas. We've heard about his death. We hear about his resurrection. We celebrate it with communion on Sunday, right? It has the power of God for salvation. And so we speak that message. It is a proclamation. It's something that we share with our words, and that's beautiful and right. It's spoken here in Acts 3, and people respond. But I believe it's also something that is done, It's a deed, it's an action that human beings do. I'm making the argument this morning that the gospel message here is equal part spoken message and equal part sign and wonder. I think it is part of the gospel message all through the book of Acts. And as a foreshadowing, I believe it's still to be part of our gospel expression today. Now, we already saw earlier that the miracle of the crippled man walking excited and amazed and shocked the people. They started following Peter and John wherever they went. They were open to hear from them, open to responding to Jesus, because the sign and wonder, what did it do? It pointed to Jesus. But this isn't the only place this happens. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 on the screen. It says this. You can turn your Bibles there if you would like. It says, and I, so this is Paul speaking, we're not getting to, to Paul's message, to Paul's ministry, right? To Paul's work, it says, and when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let this begin to rest, and he's like, Verse 1 and 2, Paul has used his voice 
to share the gospel. He does it in humility and brokenness. I just want people to see Jesus, right? The gospel is a message to be spoken, but verse 4 shows the gospel is also something we demonstrate in power through the Holy Spirit. Why? Look at, why do we do that? Why is it important? Look at verse 5. So that our faith, your faith, the people's faith might not rest in our words, the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's a dualistic, it's a both and. We need the proclamation, we need people to proclaim, and we need people to, to express the works and the acts and the deeds of Jesus. Both of them express the gospel. Here, the gospel is something spoken, but also something demonstrated in power through the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. signs and wonders. Romans 15, 18 through 19 paints a very similar message from Paul. He says this, you can follow again on the screen. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of of the gospel of Christ. Again, I'm going to read this again. I want you to see Paul's words spoken. I want you to see Paul speaking about action, these deeds, these things we give ourselves to. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, right? But I've done this He's done it through me by word, what he's proclaimed, and by deed, action, right? Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. The ministry of the gospel. Here in Romans 15, 18-19, Paul mentions four important truths to account for the success of of his evangelistic ministry of leading the Gentiles to Christ. He refers to the primary instruments, the things that he does, he does by which he successfully led unbelieving Gentiles to believe the gospel. First, Paul points to the word that he proclaimed, right? So everybody say word. This speaks to that proclamation of the gospel of Jesus that we share to lead people to Christ, right? The life, death, resurrection of Jesus so powerful. But second, His ministry was also characterized by deeds. This could conceivably include everything he did, be it acts of mercy, generosity, or compassion, or the serving of the poor. But the more likely reference is the next sentence to the signs and wonders that he was able to perform, which is the third expression of his evangelistic ministry. Fourth, he accomplished all this, both word and deed, signs and wonders, by the power of of the Spirit of God. Just press pause. What's the point I'm trying to make this morning? I believe in this book that Luke is writing. He's coming to Theophilus, and he's coming to his readers, and he's talking about just this move of signs and wonders, and he's not just saying, hey, this isn't just something that couples with the proclamation by word. It is the expression of the gospel itself. As you do signs and wonders, it is a part of the gospel message that brings people to Jesus along with the spoken word. He's basically saying, I live my life with the expectation that the early church 
would proclaim with word, and they would model signs and wonders. They would express signs and wonders. They would do the things that Jesus did. And I'm coming to this conviction that I believe that that is still true today. The gospel didn't change. The gospel wasn't yesterday word and deed, and today it's just word. I believe today the expectation is that we've been empowered to proclaim the word powerfully like Paul and Peter did here in Scripture, but also to express the signs and the wonders and to do the works that Jesus did. And so with that, we begin to say, okay, then what does that mean for us? There's a guy named Sam Storm. Some of you have heard of Sam Storm. He used to work with Mike Bickle years ago, and he's a pastor now in the Presbyterian Church. He says in Romans, he talks about Romans 15. You can just follow on the screen. I just quoted him rather than try to put his, his quote into words myself. He just says this. It's important to note that Paul does not say that his ministry was supported by signs and wonders or that they accompanied or even bore witness to his gospel ministry. Instead, Paul says that his ministry was a combination of both message and miracle. In other words, miracles or signs and wonders were central to his gospel message. He goes on to say this. We should also notice that here in Romans 15, Paul does not say that he proclaimed the gospel. Paul actually says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ in the second part of verse 19, Romans 15. Paul, therefore, his works, for Paul, therefore, his work in relation to the gospel involves not only words or propositions, but also actions or deeds empowered by the Spirit, in particular for him, miracles. All this to say that for Paul, the gospel was a combination of both the audible message and the tangible presence of God's power. The gospel was both human words about Christ Jesus and divine power through the Holy Spirit. Our argument this morning, Acts 3 teaches us very early on that the gospel message is something to be spoken in word and something to be expressed in sign and wonder, pointing the people to Jesus. Here in Acts 3, it was a miracle. Last week, as I said earlier, it was important. It was, a, it was people selling their possessions and living in intimate fellowship with one another. Over the upcoming weeks, we'll see it expressed in different ways. But for this morning, I want you to begin to see this expression of the gospel. The reality for you, empowered by God's spirit and being Jesus to people, you are to express the gospel in the same way. You're to express it with words and to understand the gospel. We're to express it through deeds signs and wonders that when they are done and exalt Jesus, it points everybody to him. But what about the other characters in the story, right? We talked about the other characters. We had Peter and John. We had the crippled man. So Peter and John, they have an immediate, listen, in that moment, imagine what their experience was like. In that moment, there's immediate credibility for their ministry, but also a call to humble humility, to humility, recognizing it nothing to do with them. It's beautiful, right? They could take the glory or they could reflect the glory. They could take the glory or reflect the glory. I've been around a lot of people in my life who do proclaim the gospel both in word and deed 
And unfortunately, they take the glory. They make it about themselves. They take the pedestal, they get up on it, and they expect people to honor them, to respect them, to treat them differently, rather than just say, I have become a servant of all, right? The call here is, yes, it's beautiful. And I would say this in the secondary piece, just all of us having been used by God, what happens when God moves through you? How do you feel? Scripture's silent on this, but I just have to assume that in that moment, there was a sense of gratitude that they got to partner with Jesus in the ministry that he was doing. And I will just say this in your life. There is nothing more satisfying, nothing more gratifying than getting out of your own way and dying to self and let Jesus use you in someone else's life and the sense of like humility and gratitude and just thankfulness that you have in the moment. I have to believe that the ministry of Peter and John here, the ministry of Paul was marked by these pieces. The third piece in this is this beautiful piece of the crippled man, the man born lame. Again, you could talk forever about him. Again, Scripture is really silent on a lot of what's going on for him. But the thing we do see in his response, he leapt up, he followed Peter and John, he praised God, he wouldn't let go of them. The extravagant miracle for him was an act of love, and he received it. It changed everything about it. He went from being someone who never knew what it looked like to walk and the feeling of that to all of a sudden just getting up and walking and jumping for the first time in his life. Do you think this felt like an act of love towards him in his life from God? Absolutely. Isn't that what the gospel message is all about? The gospel message is all about the extravagant expression of God's love towards people to woo them to himself and to make him make them his child so that they can know forever that their identity is wrapped up in who they are as children of God. And that's him. And that's life changing. It's the full expression of love. So here's where it is, and then we can go into worship and end our time this morning. Just four practical things. You can just put them on the screen for me, Josh. Four practical things. Number one, as it relates to being a people who, who, who live out the gospel ministry, be willing. Jesus, here I am. Use me. Number two, live expectantly. Live with this place of saying, God, I wake up today with an expectation that you're God, that you're alive, that you're moving, that the gospel is in me, that your spirit has empowered me. I'm living expectant today, God, that I will be your servant to those who are around me. Number three, keep your eyes open. One of the greatest problems in our world today is we are so self-focused and self-absorbed that all we can do is see the world through our own personal self-lens, and we don't have our eyes up to see what's going on around us to those that are in need. And so as we all of a sudden lift up our eyes and eyes open and stop talking about how everything impacts me and start wondering how it impacts everyone else, and all of a sudden our eyes are open to the needs of a world around us, to the people, and all of a sudden we say, Jesus, here I am, use me, right? You can't pray for someone for healing unless you've seen them long enough to know that they're in need of it. The fourth thing, just pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. 
Here's the prayer that they prayed in Acts chapter 4, 29 through 30. I think it's on the screen, yeah. Enable your servants. This is the prayer that you pray. Enable your servants. Enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus, through me. Amen. That's the prayer to pray. That's the prayer to pray. Let me tell you what happened if every single person in here embraced these four principles, began to express the gospel in word and in deed, and prayed this prayer, and God began to move, something would change, right? People would be loved, people would be set free, people would be saved, and there would be great breakthrough. It has to start somewhere. It started here in Acts chapter 2 with the empowering of God's spirit of his disciples. We are empowered today. Let's let him do what he wants to do. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, as we come into ministry time, and I just pray, God, for an awakening. I pray for a movement. I pray, Father God, that we would recognize the gospel is alive and well, fully inside of us. And we cannot understand it. God, we can't fully grasp its depth and its length because, God, it is the power of God to salvation. It is your power. And I thank you, God, that it is rich and it is deep and it is powerful for the changing of human lives and of changing the world. The gospel is the only hope for our world. In every single facet of it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus in word and in deed. God, I pray that you would forgive us for being afraid of the deed, of the action, of giving our lives away and allowing you to move in power through us, Lord. We want, to, we want to get out of your way and allow you to move in power. Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in each of us. We pray this in your name. Amen. For ending of our service today, so this is how we close up your new at Vintage uh, when I'm running late and talk too long like this morning. That we'll, we'll end our service here, so we when, and then you're free to go whenever you're ready to go. So we're going to stay in time of ministry. Ministry teams that are here can go ahead and come forward. They'll be on both sides of me right here. And I just want to pray for you for anything going on in your life. We're going to have a time of worship that was going to lead us. It's a time for you to focus, to give yourself to Jesus, surrender to him, maybe to repent of some things in your life. Whatever it may look like in your life, we want you to respond. And then when God releases you to go and you're free to go, feel free to leave. Have a great week. Connect with April on your way out of people at the table about anything that's going on at Vintage. Our responses this morning, come and get prayer, worship. We have communion available every Sunday. And this is this physical representation of the gospel of Jesus that when we take it, we remember the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, the full expression of his love for us. And as we take it, we ask that God would, by grace, cause it to come alive in us again. We have our offering baskets every Sunday. This is an expression of worship and a giving box on the way out. We encourage you to give as the Lord leads as an expression of worship. This morning as I was in preparation, I felt like God was saying, there are those that are coming this morning. This, and here's the point. I want you to hear this. Everybody pay attention. There are some of you this morning who need to hear to express, to express the gospel. You need to go express the gospel. But here's the point. At the same time, I believe each of us need to experience the gospel. 
We need to experience the love of Jesus afresh and anew, right? There are specific things that you could name. I'm struggling. I have hardship here. I'm overwhelmed by whatever it may be. And I feel like God just says this morning, he just wants to pour out the good news of Jesus into your life, to open your eyes, scales to fall off, to receive healing, restoration, and breakthrough this morning. And so I encourage you this morning just to stay as long as you need to. Toby says he's good till like 3 p.m. So we need to stay till 3 to literally worship and do life. It's going to be great, right? So you respond to the Lord leads. Just let him move in this moment and allow his grace to break free some things in your life. You respond to the Lord leads. You guys have a great week. I love you.